0: this is the coolest show brought to you by hip-hop caucuses think 100
1: it's the coolest show you know keep the culture connected it's the coolest show you know in your ear yeah respect the expert level information entertainment education rev here we got you covered as you hit your destination climate rules everything around me crazy for those who lost focus close your eyes and just train open your third eye now the world is your off coolest coolest show you know it's the hip-hop cool.
0: There are times when we have this conversation in our movement. We've had many conversations on this platform in which we've discussed where we are during this climate crisis, this crisis of democracy, this crisis of humanity. And one of the key things here that I've said, that's been said to me over the years, is no cash, no cause. And literally... As much as you want to change things and you want to impact your community, if you don't have the resources or the infrastructure, you can't do that. So one of the institutions we've had on here now, they're becoming their regular (laughs) in this process, is Donors of Color Network. And I want to actually give a full disclosure out front. I'm now a member. I'm a pay dues member. So I I believe in their mission and, and vision. Because I think it's important for particularly Black people, but all people of color, to make sure that we are figuring out how we are being funded. Because he who funds you is he who controls you. And so without further ado, I have two guests with me here in the studio. Um, one of them is Abdu Dosumu. Is that right, Abdu? Am I saying your last name correctly on that? Or did I come, come close that, That's it, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, and Marion G. Marion, your last name was pretty easy, actually. Your last name is, easy, <laughs> last name is, is was, was was easy, but uh, Abdul is the public policy advocate um, and movement builder, um, and he actually leads the Donors of Color Network, Climate Funders Justice Pledge, um, and he's just an amazing brother. We've had an opportunity to uh, connect and this build. And so I'm really excited to hear his conversation. I know he's going to bring it and just really be transparent in this conversation. And to balance this conversation, we have Marion G, who is the co-director of one of the alliances that I love so much, the Climate Justice <laughs> Alliance. Um, so welcome to you both. Uh, how are you both doing? Doing great, Rev. Thank you so much for
1: for having us and for sharing the platform. And for creating this platform um, that is uh, so conducive to rich conversation, it's just an honor and a privilege to be here.
2: So excited!
0: Well, I'm, well, we're going to get to it because there's so much in this conversation that we know the people need to hear. But before we get to all of that, you know, um, you know, who is Abdul Dosunmu, and who is your community? Absolutely. Well, um, Abdul Dasunmu um,
1: is someone who stands in community with the disempowered, the disenfranchised and the disconnected. Um, I grew up in in Dallas, Texas,
0: Um, at the risk of offending anybody. uh, Go Cowboys. Oh man! Well, this was a very good interview. Thank you so much. Well, we'll see y'all next week. Right, no, right. no, <laughs> go, ahead. Go, go ahead, go ahead, Abdul. Actually, no, gonna... you know, Abdul. I was born. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I'm not. I'm not, I'm not too far from you Absolutely. in Dallas. So Absolutely. you can. You can continue. Okay. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't been
1: disinvited um, from future episodes. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a family that was very civically oriented. Grew up in a family of small business entrepreneurs. Um, we owned a restaurant uh, in uh, Black Dallas. And, uh, you know, I saw our family growing up uh, serving the hungry, serving senior citizens, providing jobs to returning citizens. Um, and I just uh, started uh, internalizing this idea that service really is, as the old expression goes, the rent we pay um, for the space we occupy in the world. And um, so when you ask who am I, uh, I'm somebody who uh, attempts uh, to live a life of service uh, and in particular a life of service to the cause of social justice and racial justice um, in this country. And I've done that in a variety of ways. Um, I've done that in government. Um, I Mm -hmm. am doing that now in my work on climate justice. I've done that uh, in my work um, as a student leader. Um, uh, at the University of Chicago. I do that in my other life as the founder and chief strategist of the Young Black Lawyers Organizing Coalition, which works on inclusive democracy and and voting rights. Um, And ultimately, what I believe is that uh, we all have a responsibility uh, to lift our voices, not in substitute to uh, the most marginalized voices. We often hear things like, I want to be a voice for the voiceless, um, uh, when in fact we should be interrogating why there are voiceless people. Um, but but we have to lift our voices and supplement to and in community with uh, the most marginalized uh, in our society and in our world.
0: And that's what I attempt to do. Yeah, I appreciate that. And before I move over here to Marion, what is Donors of Color Network? Absolutely. So the Donors of Color Network is um, the first ever a
1: cross-racial uh, network for donors of color who are seeking to leverage their collective wealth uh, to shift the center of gravity uh, in philanthropy and politics. Um, and, you know, this, this number might come as a surprise to some of your listeners. It might not. Um, but there are uh, around 1.3 million households in this country that are led by people of color um, with uh, net liquid assets of over a million dollars um, and that is tremendous tremendous uh potential right but until now until the donors of color network uh, there really has not been a vehicle for collectively organizing and pooling that wealth around a shared vision for racial justice and politics and philanthropy um, and as you said ultimately it is organized wealth, um, that changes the game. Um, and so part of what the donors of color is all about, the donors of color network is all about, um, is making sure that we are collectively as people of color organizing our wealth, um, to resource the movements that are changing our country that are systematically and grossly underfunded.
0: All right, well, we're going to get to that. I mean, there's a lot. You said a lot there now, <laughs> You said a lot. We're uh, we going we, we gonna to get into all of that now. <laughs> you said quite a bit. Um, and so I want to, we're just going to put a pin there. I want to get to our sister Marion here. Marion, again, welcome. Uh, so happy to have you here again. Uh, I love Climate Justice Alliance. But for the folks who don't know, who is Marion G and who is your community?
2: Thanks so much again for having me. Um, and it's a bit early here on the Pacific West Coast. So I'm sorry if I'm um, just waking up with my coffee here. But um, I'm the granddaughter of, um, of, uh, of farmers, uh, people that live really close to the land. Um, my father's parents uh, came from southern China. Uh, They live next to rice paddies without running water and electricity. Um, And my other grandparents are from New Jersey and also grew up on farms. So I think growing up, I was really lucky to be between two different cultures and two different worlds, even as uh, they grew older. You know, I would be with my grandmother in the backyard picking out all the snails and slugs off the persimmon trees and the kumquats and then, you know, spending a lot of time with my other grandparents on their farm where they had avocados and kiwis and oranges. And so I just felt really lucky to be able to grow up between two different cultures and uh, be in a space where it wasn't binary, you know, like I lived in, you know, I would, I would be in one culture one day and in another and we would do things differently. Like it's okay to burp at one table and not okay to burp at the other. And that was just, it was okay to live in those contradictions and it was beautiful. Um, And so that connection to the land uh, led me to study in uh, history and environmental history. Um, But even there, there seemed to be stories that were missing that, I couldn't quite put a pin in, uh, so I ended up working with some environmental NGOs in, uh, California. And that's where I really started to like hear the long history of struggle, really understand, um, the, the narratives that were missing in in these academic institutions. And that led me to Climate Justice Alliance, which was the first place that asked me, um, Who am I? (laughs) Not what am I? Because that was often something I was asked as a child because I had a lot darker skin and Mm. it was very confusing for people to understand, uh, quote unquote, what I was. And so CJ was the first place that really encouraged me to find my voice to, um, to really understand this long history of struggle, of solidarity. And I'm just really honored to be here talking to you all. And I'm really honored to be part of a really unique um, governance structure at Climate Justice Alliance. So I'm one of three co-executive directors um, with Monica Atkins and um, Benishi um, Albert. And uh, I think that it's been almost like reliving that childhood in a way that we bring such different cultures and experiences and backgrounds to the work and are able to um, show up and support our 84 member groups. So Climate Justice Alliance is a national alliance of 82 uh, rural and urban frontline organizations and movement support organizations. And this has been a really exciting moment of transition um, with this new leadership structure to really um, support them in building the new and the good and fighting the bad, because I'm sure as we'll get into later, there's a lot of of bad things that have been happening, especially even in just the last two weeks um, that we'll probably be talking about as well. But part of the strength um, that I can tap into within myself and within uh, CJA is is from that community that I just described. So
0: um, I think that,
2: That's where I'm at. That's who I am.
0: That's who CJ is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Marianne. And listen, I'm about to ask this first question and give this top off. This this may be like an expression, a shot of expression about to come at you right now. (laughs) We about to get it. So you may you may get a you may get a shot right about now. We about to about to we about to be about 3 p.m. Pacific time in about a second because we about to go in. All the way. So let me let me just start off with this. Let me just give a little, you know. Obviously, last summer we had featured um, some of some amazing people um, from Donors of Color Network on on this on this show, and I just want to say that you know, let me on the show we discuss a lot about the climate crisis. We discuss a lot. We are intentional. That we uh, feature a Black, Brown, Indigenous women of color as a leaderful movement. We believe that this show is 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 run by some of the most amazing producers, uh, Cross, uh, Destiny, and Tomorrow, women of color and people of color um, leading leading this uh, production, as well as the Hip Hop Caucus team, and so. I just want to say that this this is how I go into this. When we were last here, we had a conversation that was around the fact that we were looking at the new school research. And for folks who don't know, you can just go to the Donors of Color Network and you can find um, that research and those studies. But it was really around the study that they looked at 12 Um, And if I do, I get anything wrong here, you could could be like my legally illegal lawyer today and make sure I get it correct. But if I looked at it, it was looking at 12 um, climate foundations, primarily working in the climate and energy sector. And they gave out, in essence, one point three, four billion dollars. And out of that one point three, four billion dollars that was distributed, only one point three percent went to. Um, communities of color, people of color-led or EJ organizations. That's ridiculous. That means that almost 98% didn't go to environmental justice. So To even get to what Marion just mentioned about what's going on, obviously the the disastrous impacts of West Virginia versus EPA, going on into how we are fighting pipelines from Minnesota to South Dakota to Virginia to down to the Bahia Pipeline in Tennessee to what we're doing, fighting petrochemicals in the High River Valley to frontline communities in Louisiana and Texas, what's happening on, on the West Coast with Literally wildfires and still building of petrochemicals and fossil fuel industries. As you in your neck of the woods there, Marion, where they said they don't say Chevron, Chevron they say Chevron. Um, and, and they get it. We know what we're battling against and we see our people hurting. But what we're having this conversation because something is wrong when we're calling for a Justice 40 uh, uh, externally. But we really got to adjust this 1%, 1 1.3% internally. So I need to know what has happened since that last visit from donors of colors. I know that you've called for a pledge. I need you to tell me what that pledge is. I need you to tell me what teeth in that pledge. I need you to break this down because there are people, and I have had friends, friends, close friends, who are in this movement who didn't die primarily because of asthma and cancer or emphysema, they died of exhaustion. They died because they were overworked. They died because they had to do the development team and the communications team and the, and they had to be the programmatic team all at the same time. They died because other entities who got millions of dollars to do a little bit of work, to do a little bit of something, something, and failing at that, to keep it 100-100, Organizations, particularly the organizations that are in the Distance Alliance, that are within EJ organizations, are literally young people fighting for liberation for black and brown people are hurting. And they do it with a latte in their hands, watching our folks do that. So we need to have some real conversation. So I'm going to come to you uh, on that. What, what has happened? What is the the Color Network doing? Right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you you framed the issue perfectly
1: um, and quite powerfully. Um, Here's what we know. What we know is that the climate crisis disproportionately impacts communities of color. Um, That is a fact. Um, You know, I grew up in in Dallas, as I mentioned earlier. I grew up going to my uncle's church, which was right down the street from a lead smelter plant. Um, that was later named a Superfund site. Um, And I grew up hearing the stories of my uncle and other folks in that community um, who had to grow up around environmental injustice, who had to literally breathe pollution. Um, And so these issues are real for our communities. And in part, because these issues are so real for our communities, our communities are leading on the issue. Our communities are fighting the climate crisis in an imaginative and innovative ways. And they are changing the game. Right. I mean, we wouldn't even have a Justice 40 at the federal level were it not for the work that uh, people of color led environmental justice organizations have done at the local and state level to create the policy framework that is now Justice 40. Right. And so those are the two facts of this conversation. The crisis is disproportionately impacting our communities and our communities are leading in the fight against the climate crisis. But here's the problem. The problem is they're leading in the fight on a wing and a prayer. They are leading mm-hmm. in the fight with the fewest resources, with the with the least financial capacity, with the least ability to scale. and As a result, we have not seen the enormous potential that those organizations are capable of if they were only equitably resourced. I testified before Congress earlier this year, and I asked the question, what kind of world would we live in if instead of being grossly disproportionately funded, our organizations were holistically and equitably funded? what would that world look like? And that question, by the way, when you think about what the Donors of Color Network is all about, that question applies not just to climate, it applies to virtually every issue. Um, And so what have we done? Because this is ultimately about accountability. Uh, And I wanna take a moment to um, celebrate and honor um, the shoulders upon which I stand in this conversation. I wanna take a moment to celebrate Danielle Dean Ryan, who was the originator of this pledge, and Ashindi Maxton, um, who was the founder and the brainchild behind the Donors of Color Network. Um, I would not be in this conversation, and we would not have seen the progress that we've seen without their leadership and their work. Um, So here's what they did, and here's what I have the privilege of carrying forward. Um, They launched the Climate Funders Justice Pledge. And the Climate Funders Justice Pledge says to the nation's top climate funders. So these are private sector climate funders, right? These are the kinds of funders who were implicated in the study that you just cited, right? What the Climate Funders Justice Pledge says to them is, number one, we challenge you to be transparent about where your money is going. Philanthropy unfortunately, is one of the most opaque sectors of our society. There is very little accountability in terms of where the money goes, who it goes to, and what its outcomes are, frankly. There is very little accountability in philanthropy. And so what we say is, number one, be transparent. Be publicly transparent about how you spend your philanthropy dollars, where that money is going is going. And then number two, we challenge them to reach at least 30% of their annual grant making in the climate space going to BIPOC-led environmental justice organizations, right? So those are the two components of the pledge. We said, be honest and transparent about where your money's going and get to 30% over the course of two years. Now, what's important to note about that. Uh, And and Rev, you and I have had many conversations about this. What's important to note about that is that that 30% is a floor. It is the bare minimum of what these foundations ought to be doing. But many of them are not doing that. Mm. And And so we have to have an honest conversation about the state of play in a field that understands itself to be progressive that uh, made a number of promises and commitments in the wake of the racial reckonings that we've had over the last couple of years. Um, This pledge is really about challenging those foundations uh, to put some action behind the rhetoric. And so what have we seen in the years since Danielle and Ashindi um, were in conversation with you uh, as part of this podcast? What have we seen? Well, we're very proud to share um, that we have, seen, we have helped to create a baseline of funding going to BIPOC-led environmental justice organizations of $100 million, right? And what is, mm-hmm. what, what is behind those numbers? Well, behind those numbers, 29 foundations have taken the pledge. Now, that might sound like a small number to some of your listeners, um, but these are some of the largest and most powerful philanthropic organizations in the country, and it took a lot of work to get them to the table to commit to this pledge. So 29 Hmm. funders, um, philanthropic major climate funders, um, have taken this pledge, including 11 11 that are in the top 40 in terms of their climate giving right so the again these are some of the most systematic climate funders in the nation what they fund what they fund is what has the potential to scale right and we're very very proud to have shifted their perspective in terms of what they fund And what is the accountability mechanism? The accountability mechanism is that we don't just ask them for the data so that we can hold it for ourselves. We don't just ask them to make the pledge to us. We ask them to make the pledge publicly. We ask them to share the data publicly. So on our website right now is data around how those funders are spending their dollars and which of those funders have committed to get to 30%, right? So that our communities can hold those funders accountable. Sunlight Mm -hmm. is the best disinfectant. What we're trying to do is create a tool for our communities to be able to hold these funders accountable so that ultimately the work that is changing the world can be well-resourced. Rev, this is something that I firmly believe. Movement building requires institution building. Movement building requires institution building. We cannot have a movement that is centered around the charisma of individuals. We have to have a movement that is rooted in the scalability of institutions, right? Unfortunately, BIPOC-led institutions are chronically underfunded. What we believe we have done in the last year is put a dent in that problem and shifted tremendous resources in the direction of BIPOC-led uh, environmental justice organizations.
0: So you know, one I want to thank you for telling us how much Doris of Color has done and I, I'm glad you're in that position. Um and just wanted to just give a shout out once again to the folks you mentioned from Daniel D Daniel Dean and Ashindy Maxton. They were they they are some and still are some amazing uh, folks in this movement. But I really wanna just ask turn to Marion now on um, what you just heard because um, you're obviously with entities and organizations that are receiving this. And, and you know, man, I need you to speak. You know, we talk about the voice for the voiceless. So I need you to, you got the floor now. You got the, I'm going a, I'm a, to be asking your attention. I'm actually, I'm going out you the bat. I'm throwing you a softball pitch here because I'm kind of one of organizations, but I got to wear my, my my host hat here, all <laughs> right, for this, for this process. But uh, I just got to say this. Let's keep it one hundred. We know that there are entities out here that as we say write their proposal on a napkin, literally. And they get funded. We know that we have to go through everything to show our accounting, our invoicing, um, you know, who's gonna spend what, how you gonna spend it on this. Can't get no money on personnel or, or healthcare. It's gotta go all to what you're gonna do. All that kind of stuff. And on top of that, the reality is this. I, I appreciate what Donors of Color Network is doing by shining a light. I think that's critical um, in this process. But the reality is this. Um, what does this mean for you and Climate Justice Alliance and other BIPOC organizations? When you hear about this pledge, I think it's also important for you to talk about your relationship that CJA, Climate Justice Alliance, has with Donors of Colored Network.
2: Big question. Um, good thing you have gave me that shot of espresso earlier. So what I'll say first is that Donors of Color Network is just a critical ally in holding philanthropy accountable because movement can't do it alone. Um, and so they've really shown up in an incredible way to to do that. And like Abdul said, that, that pledge is the ceiling or the floor, not the ceiling. Um, and so I think one of the ways that Donors of Color has shown up is not only holding uh, philanthropy accountable, but, but also moving money directly to some of our partners, like the United Frontline Table. So that's some of the ways that we've been working together. And I think they also play a really critical role in that. Let's if we're going to keep it 100, like sometimes mm-hmm. institutions like CJA can be punished for calling people out or calling philanthropy out in terms of the funding that they're able to receive. And so it's really important to have allies like Donor Donors of Color Network to be able to call that out and call in folks to show them how how we could be doing things differently. So that is a critical part of our partnership. And I think the second part of your question was, how is this impacting um impacting our members, impacting frontline communities. And I think another important newer statistic that our team saw recently was this InDeep initiative report that showed there's a $2.7 billion funding gap between like white led uh, and BIPOC led organizations. And something else that we haven't talked about even and what CJA is trying to work on. And I know the Hip Hop Caucus is also committed to divest, invest is that foundations only have to give 5% of their endowments every year. Mm. That means 95% potentially of their assets is in the stock market, is in the dig, burn, dump economy, and is continuing to fuel the things that we're fighting against. And so I think what our communities are are grappling with is not just that there's that that five percent that's being given out is disproportionately being being given to white led organizations and big greens but also that other money that money that was extracted from those communities uh, from you know family foundations other institutions that exploited labor that built their wealth on slavery that money is continuing to support the things that we're fighting against and so i think that donors of color network is also critical in helping Uh, philanthropy sit with that uncomfortable history and also um to make amends to shift that to change that and i think we're in a kind of crisis of accountability in this country right now like people are and i don't know if it's because we've been on zoom for three years but (laughs) i feel like people are running away or like really uncomfortable with that and i think if they just it's just about letting go of control like you said Reverend Yearwood, give us the general support grants. Like, why do you have to see all these reports? You don't, mm. you you give a, a grant to a big green, like you said, on a handshake or a back of a napkin. Why do we have to go through all of these hoops? Let's let's uncover that. It's because you don't trust us and you don't trust that our solutions can actually address the climate crisis. And frankly, because our communities are questioning the solutions that big, big philanthropy are supporting. A lot of the... F- like big projects that are being supported are really just techno fixes or market schemes that allow the biggest polluters to continue to pollute and they don't help our communities. Hmm. And when our communities call that out, they don't get funding.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, I think, well, hold on, man. I think you hit, you know, something that's very important in that last state, because see, this is what we're talking about here. I mean, I think we all believe That if you give the resources to BIPOC led or environmental justice organizations, they could do what needs to be done. That if they are being funded at some of the same levels, meaning they're getting a hundred million or 150 million dollars a year for their budget, um, and not five or ten or one or 250,000 or whatever they're getting now. um, the winging of the prayer that I'm doing and I like praying I do, but I don't like praying that much. Let me tell you, I, you I mean, me help me out here a little something, something. Um, but, uh, I think that, you hit on know, something, Mary, it's very important. Um, so let's talk about that. That is it not just an oversight. In other words, that we missed it. Is it intentional? Is it the fact that specifically BIPOC and EJ led organizations um, are going to truly be nonpartisan in essence and, and for a lack of a better word? And say that they're not they're they are not they they they're not looking for permanent friends, as it's been said, but they have a permanent interest in fighting for the liberation of their communities and fighting for their communities. Does that actually hinder um, them from actually getting these resources the way that they should. Let's, I want I want to get to that. So I want y'all to just think about that. Let that one meditate because that's important, right, in this process. Um, I want to fi- fi- I want to finish one thing. And Mary, you can kind of add to that. But this is what I want to ask you in this regard. With that understanding then of how we try to gauge the system. To help our process, we didn't keep we we create things like an Hip Hop Caucus or a climate justice alliance, both of them who help out other entities in some way or form. Does that hurt, though? Because do the big we don't see the big. Green organizations having that kind of network, like that. I mean, they have their network to be actually have it called the big green. I guess it was called the big green, I was still called a big green, it was something else probably now, but it was called the big green network. But it wasn't used primarily around their funding like that. Does it does funding going to a climate justice alliance um and not directly? to organizations, does that hurt or help what donors of color is trying to do?
2: do? Does the the money that is moving to CJA
0: hurt the movement or does having a network, in other words, mm. does does having a network create a small pool of money that creates even a smaller mm-hmm. pool? That's been divided amongst individuals. You know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? Now, let me be very clear for those who yeah. Let me be very, very clear. If you're listening to me now, I want to be something. I am a proponent and a fan, and I believe in the climate justice online. And I think we need to have a network for the very reason of survival. And so they are helping us to survive. And they're bringing us together to collaborate and to do things in that regard. I'm look- I'm just thinking from a bigger perspective of literally the standpoint that we now know the numbers of 1.3% out of that $1.3 billion. Does that give them cover? You know what I'm saying? Does that not allow that? I've heard so many times where I've heard people say, oh, I thought I was already funding you. I gave to this thing and I thought you were a part of that thing. And so I thought you were being funded to that. And like, well, yeah, but that was just, you know, that really wasn't, helping that organization so much. It was just like, you know, $10,000 and that was it for that one group of that entity. Does, Does that help or hurt? Or what do you think can be done that CJ can take this information from the Donors of Color Network to really raise the stakes? So that more funding and I, so and, and more because my goal here in this whole question is that I want the groups of CJA to be funded like the big greens. Let me be very clear. I think yeah. that's how we win on climate. I think by having women led and people of color led organizations are the winning answer. You want to win on climate? You need to fund these organizations to a extremely high level. I like, and I do say, the floor is sturdy, but I think it needs to be flip flopped, right? That's my goal in this. And so, but mm-hmm. by us having these networks that we've had for for a reason, does that now in this moment, now that we have these, does that help or hinder, or what, and how, or, or how can the network mm-hmm. push this for, forward?
2: That's a great question. I thank you for explaining. I think one thing that's really unique about Climate Justice Alliance as a national organization, it was really it was founded by our members through an alignment process. And they elect our board. They uh, they decide our strategic plan. And part of our strategic plan is moving money uh to the regenerative economy, to the grassroots organizing sector, um, to building the new. So that's like part of our mandate as a a national alliance from our members. And they hold us accountable to that and and me accountable to that as a co-executive director. And, you know, four years ago, five years ago, when we put together that strategic plan, our goal was 40 million And some of our calculations like CJA in partnership with donors of color network in partnership with other funder organizers um, and being able to set up new funds, like the fund for frontline power, the fund to build grassroots power. We've been able to move $97 million to the grassroots, not through Mm. CJA directly to the grassroots. Yes. Sometimes CJA will take in money and pass it back through to our members. I think about, at least 30% of our budget is going directly to our members um, as regrants, as stipends, as honoraria to support their work. So I think one, that is a mandate from our members and very clear that that is what they see our role is at the national level. And then two, our goal is to make that pool bigger, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen the Just Transition framework, right? There's outsized capital and investment and time and money and resources in the dig, burn, dump economy. And what CJ is trying to do is move that capital out into the regenerative economy to make that pool bigger. Right. So we're not competing with each other. It's really about abundance. And I think that a really important movement moment that happened, I think, about two years ago was working in partnership with our own members and then with members, allies and partners like Solutions Project and others to call the big greens in that got all that money from Bezos earth fund initially and say, Hey, like we're in the middle of a crisis, like, and this money needs to be going to building power, uh, for grassroots organizations. And th- some of them ended up moving money. I think we have about 1.5 million into this new fund for frontline power. So there's, there's examples of like why our network is really important. why CJ is really important. Um, in partnership with Owners of Color Network and others in in making that pool bigger, right? Because we shouldn't be fighting over the 1%. We need to move all of that over into this so that we can really build the new economy that we need.
0: How mm, mm, mm. do, walk us through the process. Let's say I'm a major funder. How would you approach me about the pledge and what would the process be like if I accept or decline?
1: Well, um, you know, first of all, uh, it's important to acknowledge that we are a member-led and member-driven organization of the Donors of Color Network. And so um, we have what we call a climate working group. Um, And part of what the climate working group is doing um, is they are harnessing their relationships, they're harnessing their social capital, they're harnessing their positionality to help get us in the door often. Um, and so we get in the door, um, or we break down the door as the case may be, um, uh, by screaming from the outside, but one way or the other, we get in the door, um, and we make our case, we make our pitch. And the truth of the matter is we don't have to hyperbolize, right? The, the numbers are mm-hmm. there. The impact is there. The data is there. Um, and so we simply point them to the impact. Um, you can go to our website and read the profiles of movement organizations that are literally changing the game on climate um, across the country. And and I think that's an important thing to note. One of the reasons it was important to us to be here in conversation with Climate Justice Alliance is that this pledge is anchored in and rooted in um, a commitment to the movement, Um, And so it's important that we're not in those spaces just talking about what Abdul thinks, um, that we're not in those spaces just talking about what the donors of color think, right? But ultimately, we have the backing and the support of movement organizations. So we bring all of that to bear on the conversation. And Rev, you know, we hear all kinds of excuses. I mean, we hear everything from, oh, my goodness, we've never heard of these organizations. Where are they? What kind of work are they doing? Hmm. Um, And so that's why we try to cut that off right at the head by saying, "Okay, here are the groups. Here are many of the groups, some of the groups, not all of the groups, but here are some of them that are making a difference in real tangible ways. Not only are they making a difference, but they're leading the conversation. Right. Um, And so we try to come with that conversation. Um, And so we make the case. We make our argument. Um, And then the steps are pretty clear after that. Um, We say to them, look, if you're not ready to get to 30 percent, if everybody ought to do 30 percent. If you're not ready to get there, at least give us transparency. At least give us transparency, because those numbers are public. Um, We amplify those numbers in the press. We tell our communities about those numbers. And again, we're all able collectively to hold them accountable. So at the very least, we challenge them to do transparency, but our goal is the 30%. Um, and so the, the, the structure of the pledge is this, uh, in the first couple of months, you look at your data, you do a deep dive on your data. And the, the, the sad reality of this Rev um, is that what we have seen time and time again, is that these organizations have not ever looked at the data through the lens of racial justice, ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've had funders come to us and say, this has been transformative for us in that it has forced us to actually look at the data and grapple with it, right? And so the first couple of months are about looking at the data getting the data to us, but not just to us, getting the data to candidates. So we ask them to send it to candidate. And I, I won't go into all the details on, on what candidate is and why, but it's important just for your listeners to know that we wanna shape change across the entire sector of philanthropy, right? And so what we're also doing is thinking about new ways of forcing all organizations uh, to capture this kind of data. Uh, whether they are a part of our movement, our pledge or not. Um, but we ask them to report the data to us, report the data to Candid. And then within 12 to 24 months, if they take the full pledge, within 12 to 24 months, we expect them to get to 30 percent. Um, and so that is the structure. And we're in regular conversation. Um, they're annually reporting their data to us. So it's not a one and done. Right. Um, There is an expectation that every year they're going to come back to us with new data. Um, And we believe that ultimately it's the systematized structure of this of this pledge that's going to make the difference. It's not just a pledge in name only. It's not just a campaign in name only. Um, It's rooted in real hard data um, and rooted in an accountability mechanism, not only to us, but to the communities and the movements that we are in conversation
0: and partnership with. You know, Abdul, as you're talking, and, you know, well, actually, it's just a follow-up question to what you just said. What's the teeth? You mentioned you're doing the follow-up, which is critical. But let's say that these these entities don't do nothing. Is it just is this embarrassing? I mean, that, is that the ultimate goal here, that we just got to just put you on Front Street dead in this let people know you ain't really trying to be down. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the end goal to, to, to get them to do what needs to be done?
1: Well, I think part of it is putting them on front street. Um, you know, it's not the only part, uh, but it's an important part. So that's why we, we are taking the pledge into as many corners of the public discourse as we can. Um, and, you know, we've, we've operated on a very much a sort of uh, calling them in model. So far, um, and you know, we are we are making the shift to calling them out, right? Those who have not taken the pledge, those who have been in perpetual conversation with us, perpetual deliberation. It doesn't take that long. Um, it does not take that long to decide you actually want to be effective in fighting the climate crisis. Um, and so we are making that shift um, in our in our public work on this, but here's what we really hope will happen. Um, What we really hope will happen is that, you know, what we do will only go but so far. Um, I am uh, constantly asked, what can everyday folks do? What can movements do? What can communities do to help the work that CFJP is doing? Um, What we want is for this to be an offering to communities, to movements, to individuals, Two people who are invested in these issues to take what we have helped to uh, shine a spotlight on and use it uh, in their accountability practices in their accountability mechanisms. So it's it's a little bit of both. It's we're shining a spotlight on it, but we're shining a spotlight in the hopes that our communities collectively will shine a spotlight um, and hold these funders accountable. And you know ultimately. The other thing that I want to note is this, we have that grassroots approach, but we also have a grass tops approach. There is a reason, uh, again, that we're member led in our work, right? Because a number of our members are actually on these boards, right? And so part of what, uh, we're challenging our members to do is in their roles as trustees and board members, um, and stakeholders in these spaces, um, is to not just be a POC
0: face in a high place. Come on now. Yeah, you you say that one more time. You got to say one time. Yeah, say that one more time. We want folks
1: to just be a POC face in a high place, right? And we want them to take up space on behalf of the movement and to hold these institutions mm. accountable. We're not putting the, the onus on them exclusively, right? Uh, because that's unfair. But we are putting an onus on them, and we're we're asking them to take mm-hmm. this campaign into the boardrooms and hold those institutions
0: accountable. Let's talk about that for a second then. So for folks who are listening, you know, um, I am the president of the Hip Hop Caucus. And in that role, because I saw firsthand the things that I did not receive one, I didn't want to create that same dynamic, so... We have a we have an organization that is, um, you know, trying to be different in that regard. And one of the ways different is that for me not to just be there <laughs> in that process, I have other leadership um, in that in that entity. And so, one of the things that I sit on, so I sit on, I I, I really want to solve this climate crisis. So I, I in good faith, which is kind of what I'm coming to you here on here, Abdul, in good faith. I've, I've joined a few of these boards. I'm actually senior advising some of these funds, some of the funds who said no and, and said maybe, you know, I'm trying, I'm actually senior advising because from the inside out. So I, I'm, I'm there. And I actually mentioned this at our conference, in our conversation, I sometimes feel because I am outspoken. I do feel like I'm targeted. I do feel that way. It's very much, I do feel like when I'm in these spaces. And I didn't I don't I don't know if I, it feels safe. I never forget somebody said there is no safe space. I mean we had that conversation um, there at the Doors of Color Network conference. But I know for me I'm in these spaces and I'm lifting it up. So I, we should get to that later on in the conversation. But I really want to talk about something you said earlier. Because you mentioned that 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 because I want to get outside because I honestly feel that, you know, at some point in time, you know people are, they, they, they're telling you who they are, right? They're telling you who they are. If they're not trying to fund you and they see you doing this work, it ain't because they, they don't see you. It ain't because they don't understand what you're doing. It ain't because they don't understand how important you are. Um, you just hope, you just heard, you know, uh, just a great example from CJA about all the great work that they're doing. People They, they see all that, Right. And so, at some point in time, we got to just realize that they ain't just trying to be. They not. They don't. They don't want to fund this for a whole myriad of reasons, right? And we got we got to deal with that. So, Abdul, you mentioned the network organizing wealthy people of color to support our movements. In essence, as we would say, hip hop for us, by us. Foo-foo is the phrase and lifestyle. Many of us center in the Black community. What does that really look like? In terms of relationships and the pool of funding that exists between them. And how much money is that? And how do you connect with them? How do we bring that part of it together? Because it seems like we may need to get our own money to fund our own movement. Well,
1: and you know, here's what I'm a big believer in I, I think it's both and. I think it's both and. I think we have to call these um, traditional funders out. I think we have to hold them accountable in the ways that we are doing, in the ways that. Climate Justice Alliance is doing um, and so many others are. But I think you're absolutely right that it's important that we organize our wealth. You know, the Climate Funders Justice Pledge in its early iteration has really been about organizing the social capital of people of color, of of donors of color. Um, And so, again, they have helped to get us in these spaces. They have helped to hold these institutions accountable on behalf of the pledge. And um, and you and others um, have been uh, ambassadors for the pledge uh, in in these spaces. Uh, but now we are starting to make the shift internally to a concept that we are workshopping called catalytic giving, right? Hmm. So that our dollars can start to build and sustain our movements. Um. That number I cited earlier in the conversation, 1.3 million households um, uh, with um, uh, led by people of color um, with net liquid assets of over a million dollars, tens of thousands of them over $30 million. Um, we recently issued a report called the Portrait Report, and I encourage folks to go to our website and read it. But it is filled with really rich data on donors of color. And we interviewed 113 donors of color in that report. Um, and hmm. the 113 donors of color that we interviewed had given $56 million collectively in the, la- in the previous year. $56 million. That's a lot of money on the table. But it wasn't organized, hmm. right? Um, and so part of, I think, the strategy moving forward is how do we start to organize? How do we start to organize around a political agenda, right? How do we start to organize around climate? How do we start to use our dollars to help catalyze um, the scalability of our organizations? That really is the mission of the Donors of Color Network. And I will tell you that we're actively thinking about that in the political context. We're going to be very active in this um, election cycle um, on that front. We're actively thinking about that in the climate context. Um, But it's about taking what has been individual, a a model of individual philanthropy and collectivizing it and organizing it um, so that we are able to together pool our resources around a shared vision for where this country must go on racial equity.
0: Mm -hmm. I cannot believe how fast this time went. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. It is, it is, it is always, man, this, this, this time zooms pa- fa- pass and like nothing. I just, I really got to get in this, this last question. Then I want to ask you both how we can support both the network and CJX. So I just want to, and how people can contact you, but I really want to ask you, you know, well, Mary, let me ask you this question. Um, and then I'll, and then, Abdul, you can kind of just close us out here. Uh, when you, with, at, the, at the end of this show, you've heard all these different things. You you call me up. You say, hey, Rev, I'm going to talk to you and Hip Hop Caucus. And you call some other of our partners who are all on the, on the same line together. We all come together. We've been going through this now for 30 years, right? 30 years uh We've been going through this at this level of being trying to, you know, get that 1.3%. And so, when do we begin to divest from this system? What do we do to begin to tell our people that we're going to have to find another way? It's not healthy because we're going to teach a whole nother generation of young people to be in the same position. What what political education is being done so that we can not only on the issues but in general so that we can be free. Well, how can we be free, man? What can we do to literally make sure our people are not doing themselves a certain way to move forward? To have to just have wealthy people redistribute their their wealth, um, in in alignment with the needs of their communities. What can we do here, Mary?
2: I think we can connect with all of these grassroots frontline organizations that are doing amazing work in their communities and join, join the movement in that way. You can join the Climate Justice Alliance mailing list. We do have a lot of different um, political education series coming up more recently or soon we'll have one for funders the climate dialogue series that we're doing in partnership with donors of color network and i think we all need to remind ourselves what mia said last time on this podcast is that when communities of color win on environment and climate we all win so don't forget that right like like you said we're we're going to build the new economy together and another way that you can do that is engage in, there's a lot of uh, local loan funds that are being born and being uh, created to help um, invest capital into sustainable businesses rooted in the local community. Um, CJ is doing that as well. We're trying to, we're gonna be challenging philanthropy to move hundred million dollars of those investments that they put in the stock market and put them in those local loan funds so to, to really, um, launch that with those regenerative economies. So there's lots of different ways that CJA and that anyone can um, ensure that that liberation, that future, that regenerative future that you're alluding to. And I think I hope and I know that Abdul and, and you, Reverend Gearwood, are doing that and in, in in contesting for power in those really unsafe spaces to make sure that we have the capital to do that. Because we've seen some incredible wins. Like I just got a text the other day because I actually live now in Portland, Oregon and BIPOC led organizations here were organizing and were able to create the Portland clean energy fund. And they just gave out $111 million Mm. to support clean energy projects here in Portland. And because of the organizing that they did here to get a tax on the wealthiest corporations here in Portland. So we can win. We have shown that we have won one. Same thing in New Jersey. They got one of the strongest environmental justice laws passed after 10 plus years of organizing. We know how to win, and we need philanthropy to see that and to fund us.
0: Hmm. Abdul, how can people get in contact with the Donor of Color Network?
1: Well, they can visit our website, uh, donorsofcolor.org. And um, I would encourage them to visit our climate website, climate.donorsofcolor.org. You know what keeps me hopeful? Rev, is first Mm -hmm. of all, that uh, there are people like you and Marion who are standing, as as my grandmother used to say, on the wall um, and who are fighting the fights. And um, I think what people need to know is that um, beneath the surface of the drumbeat of very challenging news that we are hearing every day, Um, There are a lot of good people who are fighting the good fight. Um, And when I think about what keeps me hopeful, um, it's the action that everyday people are taking in their communities to make change. And I just believe this. I believe, as the old saying goes, that the power of the people is greater than that of the people in power. And that if we Hmm. can harness and mobilize the power of the people, we can move the people in power. And and that's ultimately what this pledge is about. Um, And that's ultimately what the Donors of Color Network is about. And, And there's one final thing that I would encourage people to do, is to think institutionally, is to think about what are the institutions that are going to carry the liberation dreams of our communities? What are the institutions that are going to carry the liberation dreams of our communities beyond our time, beyond our moment. And how do we build and scale those institutions? That's why our fight to resource them is so important um, because it's institutions that form the backbone of movements, right? Um, and so I wanna thank you, Rev, and I wanna thank Marion uh, for the tremendous support, both of you, both of you have given to this pledge, and, and it's been an honor
0: to be in conversation with both of you today. Wow. What an amazing conversation today. And those are our guests today. It is Abdu Dosilmu, who is leading the Donors of Color Network Climate Funders Justice Pledge, and Marian G., the co-executive director of Climate Justice Alliance. And I am Rav Yearwood, your host of The coolest Show. Thank you both so much, and all power to the people. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.